0: This is Saving Grace, living in light of God's love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Welcome to
1: Saving Grace. My name is Mickey Guteman. As we're getting closer to Christmas, we have started this series where we talk about the topics of hope peace, love, and joy. These are topics that are we often associate with the holiday season. But with so many other things, it's sometimes easy to end up in autopilot mode where we, we don't really pay attention to what it is that we're talking about and why. And that's why we wanted to make time to look at these topics one by one together with some of our wonderful theologians and seminary professors. And we're hoping that this will be a really meaningful time for you as well. Whether you move into either the Christmas season or even if you're listening to this at a different time. And today we have Dr. Joe Wall back with us here on the podcast. Dr. Wall is a great theologian and professor here at Grace School of Theology, and uh, he is a longtime church planter and pastor, and he also works with East-West Ministries to spread the message of God's love across the world. Dr. Wall, it's so good to have you with us again.
0: Well, good to be with you, McKay. It's always delightful to spend time with you. You get asked some great questions. So today we want to focus on the topic of peace.
1: And uh, Dr. Wall, why is the topic of peace so important? And what, why are we talking about it so much around Christmas time?
0: You know that that's uh, probably one of the most significant terms during Christmas time. We sing about peace on earth, and uh, it's good that you asked the question because it's a very, very important biblical uh, truth. That's revealed right in the in the major Christmas story. When we think about the Christmas story, it comes from two of the gospels, from Matthew and Luke, and you know John starts an eternity past, and Jesus uh, comes on the scene. Mark starts with the baptism of Jesus, and but the two of the of the, of the disciples, uh, one of the disciples, and and then Luke, the doctor, who interviewed the disciples and Mary, he they put together the stories. Uh, surrounding the birth of Christ. And Luke captures the human side of it, Mary's family, uh, and the birth of Jesus, and the worship of the angels. And Matthew captures the visit of the wise men. He's talking about the Messiah, the King. Well, this idea about peace is a big thing in Luke's uh, gospel. In chapter one, he announces this to uh, Zacharias, that he's going to have a a boy and uh, he doesn't believe it cause he's too old to, and his wife's too old. And so he's struck dumb until the baby's born, <laughs> but he's given the power to prophesy and the angel speaks to him. And in the middle of all that, he's told that this coming one is to bring peace. And then boom, it happens. The baby's born and a group of shepherds get the same message. They talk about, this is the one bringing peace. And you really think about that. Why? Well, the Bible reveals God's desire for man's peace over and over and over again. In fact, one of the great prophecies in the Old Testament, and and there are more than 400 references to the word peace in the Bible. 400. Yeah, more than 400. (laughs) I think I looked it up. I think there are 413, something like that. Uh, And uh, this reference to peace it's centered around a major prophecy. Isaiah has got what is called the the hymn of Emmanuel. And the hymn of Emmanuel is a section of Isaiah from chapter 7 down to chapter 12. And, the, and we're told the baby will be born in Bethlehem, that's chapter 7. His name would be Emmanuel, Oh, come Emmanuel, that's chapter 8. Chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, or could be Wonderful Counselor, could be two separate names. And he's also called the Prince of Peace. And then he says the Father of Eternity, sometimes translated the everlasting father. I think better to take it the father of eternity. Now, what do you got here? You've got an amazing baby coming. And then the next verse says, of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. And upon his shoulders, is going to rest this authority. So whatever Christmas is about, it's about the coming of Jesus, the King, and the King brings peace. So that's why it's sung about, and that's why it's important. Okay, so... Dr. Wall, you talk about the human perspective on, on peace.
1: And that kind of makes me think about I'm sure a lot of people maybe don't experience peace in this way or, or they're really struggling, maybe, maybe especially around Christmas time mm-hmm. where this is something that's talked about mm-hmm. so much. So, mm-hmm. how, how does that relate to, to, to all this, these other ways of, of thinking about peace that you're talking about? Uh,
0: that's a great question. One of the sad things is around Christmas time, the, you, normally, it seems like people ought to be joyful all this time, but if people have are not experiencing all the the bases for happiness that they're looking for, and it doesn't all come together, and there's conflict in their home, and things aren't just right, they suffer with depression. There's no peace. There's no joy, at least, and definitely no peace. There's conflict. Uh, I took a job when I was a teenager working in an emergency vehicle and I I rode with an ambulance driver, I drove actually, and he was the medic. And we were called into one home uh, during the Christmas season. And the reason was there was a big fight. People get all uptight. The family's together and they were all ready to hit hit each over the head. There's something about that. Everybody expects so much. And then the result is depression. And then often in many cases, there's suicides. And so you're exactly right at asking the question, where is this peace that we speak about? Well, it's the season of peace. Uh, it's, it's the Christmas feeling. It's the Christmas experience. May I say to that, bah humbug? <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's not the peace that we're talking about biblically. There's something far richer and far greater than this idea that I suddenly get what I want or I finally get along with somebody a little bit better. Mm. There's something far more profound that Jesus is offering. And that that profound offer of peace is repeated over and over and over again in the Scriptures. And it comes in three different ways as I see it. And if that's okay, I'll, I'll take a minute just to kind of explain that. Please and You do, can interact yeah. with me about it. But it seems to me peace can come in the form of absolute rule of a perfect, loving, just ruler when he comes and establishes his kingdom on this earth. And that's what the prophets were saying was going to happen someday, repeatedly in the prophets, over and over again. And then in the New Testament as well, Jesus speaks about it, about coming in the clouds and bringing this peace. Peace will come to the world, and that will be political peace, national peace. The world will be ruled by just rulers. There will be no longer any injustice in the world. There will always be peace, peace and justice throughout the world. That's promised. That's the way it's supposed to have been when Adam was created, but Adam sinned. He and his wife both sinned against God. So we've experienced a world in rebelling against God, so we don't experience His peace. So, in the fullest sense, that won't happen until Jesus comes back. But the good news is, look, we're looking for Him. And the, and the newspaper keeps giving us more and more signs. <laughs> it looks like waving a flag. It's getting closer and closer and closer. Uh, the second kind of peace is the kind of peace that comes in a relationship. And that's a relationship with God personally and a peace that comes into my heart by virtue of that relationship. The third kind of peace is my peaceful relationship with my family and my friends and people I have conflicts with. And the Bible speaks about all three. One of them is a promised future thing. The second is a reality that I can have now. No matter what the circumstances, I can have peace now. And I don't have to wait until uh, everything is perfect in my life. I can have peace now. So that's an inner peace that comes by a peace relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And then there is the peace between me and others. And God wants me to bring about peace. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall inherit the earth. I, they, they, they should be called the children of God. The meek will inherit the earth. It takes a meek peacemaker to do it. Mm-hmm. But but the the, the peacemaker is re, is re revealed in Scripture as a very important person, and that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to work at reconciliation. That's what marriage counselors do. They're trying to somehow bring about reconciliation. Uh, where you've got conflict between elders and their pastor, you want reconciliation. Where you've got di- division in a church, or division in a f- marriage, a division in a family between parents and children, between parents and their uh, and uh, adults and their in-laws, parents. All of these, God calls us to peace, and He says you can bring that peace about. So that's the third kind of peace. There is the Ultimate peace when Christ comes back, and that's prophesied uh, as definitely involved in the prophecies. But the other two are implied because they come in relationship with the King of Peace. Uh, king of Peace. So when the Lord Jesus rules in the future, there's peace. When He rules now, there will be peace. Makes sense. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. <laughs> <laughs> Did I give you too much of an answer. Oh no, no, goodness, that's good stuff. <laughs>
1: If, if you just look back at the first of those categories for a second here, so you're saying basically humanity destroyed the peace that was intended for us. Uh-huh. It seems difficult to think that, that it's possible that the, the plans of God for us to have this peace could have been thwarted by, by man in the first place. How is that possible?
0: Well, of course, that goes back to uh, a larger study. We spent quite a bit of time in, in theology talking about it, but it can be very simplified, and I, I, when I preach a lot on uh, understanding the Old Testament, understanding scripture. I'll refer back to this. Uh, some people call it the conflict of the ages. In fact, there's a book that was written back in the 19th century or early 20th on, called that, uh, or the angelic conflict. The, the, the situation biblically appears that the whole uh, creation was created and established so that God would be honored and glorified. The greatest good in the whole universe, is whatever brings glory to God. Those those, those are not contradictory. It, it, God is glorified by what is good, and that which is good is that which glorifies God. Yeah. And, and God is, is a just God, and He's also loving. And His very nature, He is eternally, infinitely just, and infinitely loving. Well, in that environment, He created a universe and He put a particular angel in charge. The translation of his uh, of his name, you know, the, I think, has to do with the son of the morning. Translated into Latin is the word Lucifer. And Lucifer uh, apparently was got his throne established, the Bible says, in Isaiah and Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28, he had his throne established in Eden. So Eden was on this planet, we know that, Therefore, we conclude that this was a center, this planet and Eden was a center of the rule of the universe and Lucifer was in control. There were no human beings. There was no mankind created. So the entire creation, all of the angels submitted to this leader. Second command was a guy apparently whose name was Michael, Michael the Archangel. You like that? I like that name. name. That's your name.
1: That's a great name.
0: Michael the Archangel seems to be number two. At least as best we can understand from reading the passages on this, Lucifer says, I'm I'm God. He exalts himself up above the very revelation of God. God exists eternally as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and as the Son... He is called the Logos, the Word of God, the outward personal expression of God. Lucifer says, I'm bigger than that. I'm better than that. He exalts himself above the eternal personal Logos of God. And when he does that, uh, he puts a rebellion in place and he takes a host of angels with him, the scriptures say. So God judges him and judges the planet. And then he redoes the planet. And that's why I think a lot of people say there's the big big deal about the age of the earth and everything. It's, it's a, there's a view called the gap theory. I am highly committed to the gap theory. I don't consider it a theory. I think it's very clearly taught in the Bible. Between Genesis one one and one two, there's a gap. Now, it doesn't have to be billions of years. It could be ten days. I don't know, but there's a gap there. I, I'm talking theologically and biblically, not talking geology. And there's that's the gap between Satan's a rebellion against God and he brought darkness on this planet and so God remade the planet and set it up so that there could be human beings on it. And the human beings are given to take charge of this planet and, and take it back away from Satan. God had a plan and Satan didn't understand it. And the plan was he had creatures that could have children. And one of those children could be a union between God and man. So the plan was already in place when he created man. He would have redeemed, eternally redeemed, worshiping, loving children who would always love him for what he did for them. And to do that, he had to give us free will. Without some level of freedom, God is sovereign. There's a difference between saying God is uh, controls everything, and God is in control. Those are two separate ideas, and they're blended by theologians. In simplicity, the practical man can understand it. There is a sense in which a person can ha- be in control. He allows or brings things to pass, or controls. That means he makes everything happen. God is not making everything happen. God is in control, and he allows certain things to happen. So there can be volition that can ultimately result in worship. So with that in mind he creates man who can destroy the the peace between him and man uh creatures that could do that so he could restore them. So the peace was broken broken in the in the garden of Eden and it and it was promised it would be restored by the head by, by the heel uh on the head of Satan. I call it the uh the head crusher. <laughs> the head crusher is coming and he did it at the cross. And I might just make a note there for our listeners
1: too that if if you want to hear more about this sovereignty, I think this is a topic that is that is challenging for a lot of people in understanding how does this really work, or how can how can free will be compatible with, you know, with with God's will or, or things along those lines. And um, we talked to Dr. Wilson about that here on the podcast. If you go back in your podcast feed and listen to episode four and five, mm-hmm. that's actually two episodes where we talk a lot about that. For those who are interested, so that's just a little plug in there. Good, good. If you'll allow me that that kind of leads me to a question as we're talking about you know our rebellion against God and um uh, how that all went down. I mean if if God knows everything and this is something I'm sure a lot of people have asked themselves at one point. But if he knew this was going to happen that we were going to squander his plans in this way why do you think he bothered to 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 create us in the first place?
0: Ah, uh, he created us because in his heart, he desired to have a loving relationship of children like us. Um, it's kind of like saying, "Why in the world would I go buy that puppy? That puppy's going to mess up in the all over the house. That puppy's going to bark when I don't want it to bark." But I, I I've got that little. I, I believe dogs. This is just a, a Joe Wolf theology, but I believe dogs. Were created by God so we could understand the loving relationship between us and our Father. I, I just think that the, there's a, a, a tie that to my wife's puppy. That's now a puppy. We still call him we call her a puppy. She's 12 years old. We call her a puppy. <laughs> and th- there's that that you put up an awful lot of stuff because there's something far more important. So however you understand that, some things are beyond our understanding. We're talking about an infinite God with infinite knowledge and infinite wisdom. We're trying to understand that we've gotten little bits and pieces of it. I'm telling you the bits and pieces that seem to be there. I I don't know if I could give you an absolute complete thing because then I would be infinite (laughs) and I'm certainly not infinite. I I am eternal because he made me eternal, but I am not infinite. (laughs) So,
1: if we if we move into the transition a little bit of between looking at this concept of peace in the Old Testament uh-huh. and looking at you know the New Covenant that we live under today, um, I'm a little bit curious what what would this idea of peace look like in people's understanding when they lived under the Old Covenant. You know, it's we kind of have the benefit of having the New Testament here today that reveals so much of God's plan that He set out to do to restore the world's peace back in place. Mm-hmm. Um, but how would they understand this concept of peace prior to that happening?
0: Well, uh, they understood it as something that ultimately would come in the future, and the under it something they could have right then too. They they they, ex- they experienced all, they experienced peace in all three areas themselves, and the Scripture is very clear. In fact. If you read through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that's where majority of the places of the word peace is found, and it's normally connected with a peace offering. So regularly, God wanted a peace offering for fellowship with him. And the peace offering normally involved killing an animal and having a dinner afterwards. It was a blessing time. It was a fun kind of, of sacrifice it's, it's, uh, you know, the they had five offerings, uh, the, the whole bird offering f- for the nation, and then they had the the, uh, uh, the thank offering, and then they had a, a peace, the peace offering. And then they had a couple related to sin. But the peace offering is repeated over and over again, and it's an offering that was to be given uh, as a, an expression of this peaceful relationship between God and his people. And so they experienced the whole idea of peace, maybe in some ways a a whole lot better than a lot of Christians do today. Uh, they had at least a reminder of it on a regular basis. But they also experienced the peace that God would offer in the future, or they experienced the prophecies about it. Uh, and he also had much in the Bible in the Old Testament, like Psalm 34, verse 14, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. They understood peace and relationships. So they understood it that way. Uh, in Psalm twenty-nine he says the Lord will give strength to his people, the Lord will bless his people with peace. Psalm twenty-nine eleven. And that's that's a long time before Jesus came. We're talking the time of David, a thousand years earlier. So they certainly experienced peace in a very significant way. The thing they didn't have was a full assurance that their sin was a hundred percent and completely paid for. There was no ultimate peace in their hearts about knowing of complete forgiveness provided for them. And we know that now. Uh, God overlooked their sin. God could not not forgive their sin based on their sacrifices. They were only shadows, according to the book of Hebrews, of the real sacrifice. And the real sacrifice to come was the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We've experienced the reality of knowing that. Uh, You don't see in the Old Testament stories commonly, like I can turn on my Christian radio station and I can hear the, the stories of person after person who came to the, to the bottom of their, of their life and things that mess with drugs or alcohol and, or crime and then they come into Christ. So there's a tremendous blessing of that inner peace of, of knowing our sin is 100% taken care of. That's what the school's about. It's about the grace of God. Our sins are forgiven forever and completely forgiven. They can't be brought up again legally. Now, it's a family thing, if we get gets unhappy, it gives us a whipping. Uh, but from the standpoint of, of God's forgiveness, we're totally completely forgiven before His law court. So He's always got His arms around us. We're always in a love relationship with Him. And they didn't have that experience. So in one sense, they, they had peace because they knew God, and God quieted their hearts, and he promised peace to them. Peace in the future, peace in their hearts in the relationship with them, and peace in relationships with other people. All three kinds of peace they had, but they didn't have the depth of experience of the peace of a relationship with God knowing we were completely and totally forgiven. What a blessing it is. That's peace in the ultimate sense, in a relationship with Christ.
1: Well, that, that definitely is a bigger picture than we sometimes just <laughs> experience it in the, passing by in a commercial during Christmas time or something along those lines, right? Obviously, we right now live in times, and throughout history, we humanity has had so much conflict. We see right now we're coming out of an election season where people are probably more divided than, than they have been in this country for the, for a long time. Um, and obviously there are, there are bigger things at play all around the world that where people are not experiencing peace. And I think most people would say that they long for peace, that peace is something that they are looking for. So mm-hmm. how is it possible that we, even though we are we seem to be looking for this, humanity does seem to at least think we are looking for this, and yet we so often are missing out. How is that possible?
0: I think it's we're missing out on the fact that peace comes as a result of the Holy Spirit Galatians chapter five says that those who are filled with the Spirit will experience peace so if you want to experience peace both in your heart but also in your relationships because the context there has to do with patience that's something in your heart that relates to other people so I think he's talking about peace between not only between us and God not only peace in our hearts but peace in our relationships with other people um, I believe that the whole idea of the filling of the Spirit is the basis for experiencing peace right now. In marriage, if there's conflict, the solution is a discovery of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the, one, the only one reference in the whole Bible that says, be filled with the Spirit, and it could be translated, be filled by the Spirit, either way, it means the same thing ultimately, but the Spirit fills our lives and the result is the impact on a husband, on a wife, on a parent, and on an employee and employer, all are affected by being filled with the Spirit. It's a relationship, so relationships of peace, according to Galatians five, as the Spirit fills us, and according to Ephesians five, it's the filling of the Spirit that's in relationships with other people. So I struggle with then how do you how you fill? What is the means for filling? Well be honest with you, I, I struggle with that because it, it, early on, in my, as a Christian, before I ever got in ministry, I was taught this. Campus Crusade taught it. I was taught at Bible studies. It all made sense, kind of. I need to be filled. Bill Bright said you need to be filled by faith. That made sense. But I couldn't put it all together. And someone pointed out, have you looked at Colossians 3? Colossians 3 was written at the same time by Paul as he wrote Ephesians 5. Instead of saying, be filled with the spirit, he uses a different phrase, same product. It affects your marriage and your family and your job and everything. He said, but he uses a different word. There he tells you how to do it. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I take it that's Jesus speaking to you through his word, his revelation, as his spirit of God illumines you. In other words, if you will let Christ rule in your life, He'll fill your life. And the whole idea of a peace in life is to let Christ rule. Now, if he says to you, you need to go ask forgiveness. Don't, don't, Don't blame them all the time. Don't spend all your time in the fight. You go ask forgiveness. That brings peace. So Jesus says, you got this conflict. What have you done wrong? Don't point out their problem. Try to understand their perspective. But why don't you just go and you you tell them what you did wrong, and that's it, and say, would you forgive me? Don't go beyond that. You'd be surprised how far peace can begin to take place. Peace happens when you obey Jesus, because he talks to us about acknowledging our sin. He talks to us about forgiving others. He very directly describes what, things that we ought to be doing and being humble before him and not claiming that we're the center of everything. So as we read the Scriptures and Christ touches our lives and we obey Him by faith, not works to, to earn something, we just do what He tells us. The Spirit of God empowers us, and that brings peace. And as you're saying that, it makes me think about, I think
1: so often we, when when you're talking about going, just going to apologize to someone, mm-hmm. that can be so hard in a situation yes. where you feel like there's been injustice done against me, right. right? Well, what about the other guy? Right. He did all this and this or that. No matter if it's if in a tough relationship, in a marriage, in a, with, with someone you work with, whatever it may be, I think so often it's like we're looking for that justice that you're talking
0: about yep. first. And so maybe in that sense you need... Justice and, just, justice and to some degree a little vengeance. Yeah. And the Bible says very clearly, Jesus is going to handle all justice and all vengeance. We don't. The only time we do it is if Jesus has put us into a place of authority and we've got to make judgments... Relative to to government and that type of thing, so there's time when there has to be justice takes place. But as far as paying people back for what they've done poorly, turn it over to him. Uh, it's much easier for uh, to live life not having to fight those things in your own heart. Uh, you don't have to. You don't have to take vengeance. Jesus, Jesus said he'll do it if it needs to happen. He'll take care of it. You don't need to worry about it. Thank you, Doctor Wall, for talking us through a lot of these deeper levels of, of a
1: concept that I think we don't really <laughs> go too deep with a lot of times, especially around Christmas time. We we just take for granted that we know what it means. Um, so, if someone is listening to this who's who's really struggling with not feeling a lot of peace in their life right now, um, especially as Christmas is getting closer, um, and you're, you're talking about being filled with the Spirit, you know, but how would one? How would one? Begin that journey to to start having that happen. Whether you're someone who maybe already have accepted Christ or someone who have not, um, how do you how could you be more filled with with the Spirit and feel more of this peace? You know, the
0: I, I have guys, I disciple that that str- struggle with anxieties. They tell me, uh, I, and I personally, as a youngster, I had problems with anxiety because I grew up in a home. I was. I was born in a, in a mental institution. My mother was uh, psychotic at times, and as a result, I grew up with with some fear. And the thing that that changed my life as a young person was coming to have a relationship with Jesus and spending time alone with Him. Uh, I can remember taking girls on dates, and I'd take some of them home early, and i go driving just so I could talk to Jesus. Uh, spend time with him. Um, yesterday I was in a conference for church planners and the speaker was talking about anxiety in a church planner and the lack of peace, all upset. So he was addressing that. And I'm sitting there, and I noticed a couple of the guys were kind of ta- taking it in a little bit there, but he was hitting me right between the eyeballs. Uh, I, I, I just... It, I get an, an anxiety about being a workaholic. <laughs> I just, I tend toward that. And the only only way I can get out of that is time alone with Jesus. I talk to him while I'm driving the car. I, I got to turn that radio off. I listen to the radio sometimes. I listen to talk show stuff. I listen to Christian music different everything. I turn it off sometimes. And we just talk. Uh, I like t- time to sit on the patio and just, just the Lord and me. To me, the the, the the path to peace is a relationship with the Prince of Peace. And it's not something you can make a formula out of. And, and you've gotta bring those fears to him and trust him with them. And then I think you've gotta act. And this is just a, an aside. If he leads you to do something that you're fearful about, I I think you need to go ahead and do it. Just trust in him and accepting the consequences. Uh, I'm not an expert on, on this but uh, well, I did take some training under a leading Christian psychologist that I recruited to work at our school back in Colorado, Larry Crabb. And Larry helped me a couple of times in my life uh, addressing, as I was rest- wrestling with some anxieties, I remember. And on one occasion uh, he brought home to me something that he teaches all through his training. He says the deep need of a, of Adam and Eve, and you, and me, and all mankind. are There are root needs that we have by virtue of creation. One of those needs is that we be, um, we, we have some type of significance. And the other is that we have some kind of relationships. We want relationship, and we want significance. And a lot of times we want well, power too with that, but that's part of significance. But the two big ones are we want to have significance and we want to have, we want to have uh, relationships and, we, and maintain them. And so we work at making those things happen. And anxiety comes from trying to make those things happen. And we put our trust in what we do to make them happen and anxiety follows. And Larry said, you no, know, it's, it's, it's kind of like the book of Jeremiah chapter two. He says, my people have committed two sins. Number one, they have departed from the fountain of living water, and they put their trust in cisterns that are broken. got a great big cistern where they keep water. The fountain would come out and fill it, and they would get the water there, and it's cracked. Instead of putting their trust in the fountain, they put their trust in the cracked cistern. And what what he's saying is God, God says, I'm the fountain your wife, your job, your position, all of that is cistern. They're all broken. When you put your trust in them, you will experience anxiety. If you want your significance and you want your relationship to be dependent on those, you're always gonna suffer anxiety and lose peace. If you find your significance and your relationship first in Jesus, no matter what the cost, then you will enjoy the blessings of these other things he's given to you. The moment you put your trust in the blessing, you lose the peace and the joy of it. The, long, as long as you keep your trust in the giver, all the others become blessings and joys. I gave you a long answer to a short question. But no, you that have good answers.
1: Bit. I appreciate you giving them. Thank you, Dr. Ball for again, for coming on the show. We always love it when you come by, and uh, I hope we get a chance to to hear from you soon in the future as well. Peace I leave with you, the Lord said. Shalom. Peace out. Thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate you being with us. And uh, I just want to tell you real briefly about a couple of things that we're really excited about. You've heard us mention it before, uh, but we have the website, partnerwithgrace.org. This is a great place. If you've been listening for a while and you find that the Grace School of Theology sounds like we have a vision that you could get excited about, we would love for you to check out this website, partnerwithgrace.org. On there, we have all kinds of, of different ways that you can contribute to the ministry and, uh, and learn more about what the school is doing as well. Uh, another thing that you can do right now is to go ahead and register for the Grace of God course. This is a fantastic foundation. Also, if you've been listening any to this podcast, you know that Grace and, and what it means for us, that's something that's very significant for this school. And if you want to learn more about it, this course gives you a fantastic foundation. Dr. Wall is one of our teachers here in the course, and you get a chance to hear from him talking about eternal rewards. And uh, before that, you're also going to hear from Dr. Wilson teaching about sovereignty and why that matters, as well as our president, Dr. Anderson, talking about salvation. So if you haven't already done it, I encourage you to check that out. And the process is really simple. All you got to do is to go to gsot.edu slash grace of God to register. Once you're registered, this nine-session course of recorded content will be delivered weekly to your inbox. And of course, we always love to hear from you. If you want to contact us, the best way is usually via email. That would be savinggrace at gsot.edu. Thank you for listening. We're so excited to have you with
0: us. You have been listening to Saving Grace a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash grace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.